Well, good morning, and thank you for your kind welcome. I am honored to be with you this morning in this virtual experience, and I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God for Pastor Andrew and for his spirit and just the person that he is and the invitation to be with you this morning, and I pray that what God has prepared for uh, us is a blessing to you. I also want to acknowledge my pastor, uh, Pastor John K. Jenkins, um, and my church at which I'm honored to serve. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, for the opportunity. We acknowledge your spirit, your covering, and your grace. God, we ask that you would guide this time, that you would protect us, and that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the scripture has already been read, and I want to spend a few moments talking with you about great faith. You know, faith is the axiom of our Christian belief. Uh, They used to say that reading is fundamental, but for the believer, faith is fundamental. It's how we walk, because we walk by faith and not by sight. It's how we get saved, for by grace are you saved through faith. In fact, without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anybody that comes to him must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, faith. It's the substance of what we hope for and the evidence of everything that we don't even see. Jesus often referenced a person's faith when they came to him petitioning for a healing. He would say things like, according to your faith, let it be done unto you, or as you have believed, may it be done. But he also spent some time talking about those that lacked faith. Perhaps you remember when he was on the boat in the middle of the ocean or the middle of the sea with the disciples and a great storm arose and the disciples got afraid and so they ran down to the bottom of the boat and they woke up Jesus. He got up and he rebuked them and said, why were you fearful, you men of little faith? Numerous times he spoke about our faith. And I can't help but wonder what would Jesus say about the faith that we exercise and that we display today. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm stuck back in the boat with the disciples There are storms raging all around and we're being tossed to and fro. We're being tossed one way with COVID-19 and all of those challenges and we're being tossed another way with all the political stuff that's going on. We're tossed one way with challenges in our marriages and our relationships and we're tossed another way with the flagging economy. It seems like we're on a boat and the wages and the, the sun and the everything is raging and all I want to do is run down to the bottom of the boat and wake up Jesus. Have you ever felt that way? Beloved, I believe that if we are going to experience modern day miracles, if we're going to witness miracles in our society, we're going to have to answer the question about our faith. Are we people of great faith or are we people of little faith? 
Listen, we face great obstacles in our society, and I believe it's going to take great faith to meet those obstacles. That's why I love the story of this Canaanite woman. She was a woman that exercised great faith. And indeed, faith is fundamental. Because as long as bodies keep dropping in the street, as long as what's right is being called wrong, as long as hate masquerades as love, as long as division becomes a mantra of the day, we've got to have great faith to fight these obstacles. And in this text, this Canaanite woman gives us three examples of the characteristics that uh, define great faith. The first characteristic of great faith is that great faith keeps walking with him. In our story, the first obstacle the Canaanite woman faced was the obstacle of an unanswered appeal. An unanswered appeal occurs when you ask somebody something and they don't answer you. Has that ever happened to you? You talking to somebody, asking them questions, and they're asking like they didn't even hear you? Well, that's what happened in this text. Uh, uh, Jesus had just entered the city, and we read here in verses 22 and 23 that a woman of Canaan came to him crying out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And he answered, Not a word. She's walking down the streets and she's crying after him, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. And continually, continually, he answers not a word. But that doesn't discourage this woman of great faith because even though she's faced this obstacle of an unanswered appeal, she keeps following him. And the text doesn't tell us exactly how she knew Jesus. It, it doesn't say exactly how she heard about him. We don't know if she heard about him, if she read it in the newspaper or she found out in the beauty salon. We don't know how she knew about Jesus. But what we do know is that she knew enough to call him by all of his name. She called him Lord, son of David. I don't know if your parents ever did this to you, but whenever my mom was serious, she called me by all my names. She'd say, Deborah Jean Dorsey, that was my maiden name, Deborah Jean Dorsey. When she called me by all my names, I knew she was serious. This Canaanite woman was serious too because she called Jesus Lord, son of David. She used all his names. By calling him Lord, she was recognizing him as in his deity. By calling him son, she was recognizing his royal lineage. By calling him David, she was recognizing him as the anointed Messiah. And so she calls after him, Lord, son of David, help my daughter. She's demon possessed and she keeps following him and still he answers not a word. Verse 23 tells us that the disciples tell Jesus, send her away. She's bothering us. Can you imagine this woman's disappointment? I mean, if she's heard enough about Jesus to know all of his names, I'm sure she must have heard some other things about him too. Why was he ignoring her? She must have heard that he was a compassionate savior. She must have heard that he healed the sick and he raised the dead. She must have heard that he was a great miracle worker. Why wouldn't he answer her? I can imagine that she also must have heard that he dealt with demons and that was her situation. She was desperate. The Bible says her daughter was uh, severely demon possessed. 
I don't know what the difference is between being severely demon-possessed or, or regularly demon-possessed, but it doesn't sound good in any case. She's desperate and she's pleading and calling after the Savior, and he answers not a word. What do you do when you're walking and talking with Jesus and he answers not a word? It's like he's put his heavenly phone on do not disturb. Like he said, don't bother me. I'm not taking any calls today. Have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced a time in your life when you're calling Jesus and you're walking with him and doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing and still he answers not a word? Sometimes it feels like that's what's happening in our country. It's been 60 days since George Floyd's murder, and yet night after night, people are still dying in their streets. Coronavirus hotspots are popping up all over the country. Schools are shut down. Jobs are shut down. The economy threatens to be shut down. And still, it seems like God's not answering a word. I know we've been praying. I know we've been teaching. I know we've still been meeting. Our sermons have gone viral. Our messages have gone virtual. We're all on Zoom meetings talking about God and still he answers not a word. Well, that's exactly where this Canaanite woman was. Her world was falling apart and she was calling after Jesus and walking with him and following and he still he answered nothing. But even though he wasn't responding, that didn't stop her. That, the obstacle of an unanswered appeal didn't stop her from walking with Jesus. Beloved, just like her, we too face many obstacles, both corporately and privately. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to allow the obstacle of an unanswered appeal stop me from walking with Jesus. Just because he doesn't answer you doesn't mean he didn't hear you. You see, that's the beauty of great faith. Great faith doesn't need an answer to keep walking. Great faith just keeps walking. So I encourage you today, don't stop following him. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop doing the things that he's called you to do. Don't stop crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. That's one of the characteristics of great faith. Great faith keeps walking. This Canaanite woman displayed that characteristic because even in the presence and the face of an unanswered appeal, she kept walking with Jesus. But not only does great faith keep walking with him, the second characteristic of great faith is that great faith keeps worshiping him. That's what the Canaanite woman did when she encountered the second obstacle. The second obstacle she faced was the obstacle of an unqualified application. Now let me define that for you. An unqualified application occurs when you apply for something that you don't qualify for. It's simple. You, you don't qualify. You want something, but your application is unqualified. In verse 24, when Jesus finally does respond to the woman, he tells her that even though she's completed the online application, even though she's filled out her 200-word essay, her application for a healing is being turned down because she doesn't qualify. It's right here in verse 24. He said, listen, I was not sent to the lost sheep. I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You don't qualify. That's what he's saying in this statement. I, I was sent 
to Israel. And because you're a Gentile, you don't qualify for the blessing. And truthfully, everything Jesus was telling her was true. He was the Jewish Messiah, the anointed one. He came in fulfillment of the messianic promise. And that promise was made to the nation of Israel. This woman and her daughter, they were Gentiles, and therefore the promise was not for her. She didn't meet the qualification. I know, I know in the big picture view, it, it is true that Jesus did come to save the entire world and that eventually the Jewish, the Gentiles would be included in that salvation. It's just that they weren't there yet. You see, Jesus was working on a timeline. He had a three-year ministry, and he came to fulfill prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. And he would fulfill the prophecy that he was the savior of the world. It's just that they weren't there yet. That would come after he had suffered under Pontius Pilate. That part would come after he was crucified, dead, and buried. That part would come after he descended into hell, snatched the keys from Satan, after he rose again from the dead. And as he was on his way ascending back to the Father, he would tell the disciples to go into all nations, preaching and teaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, that's when she would qualify. And all he was telling her was, ma'am, we're not there yet. You're trying to flip to the back of the book and, and we're not on that page yet. Sorry, you don't qualify for a blessing. Have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever felt that you don't qualify? Have you ever been told, ma'am, I'm sorry, sir, I'm sorry, you don't qualify? What do you do when you don't qualify for a blessing? What do you do when you don't qualify for the job, don't qualify for the mortgage, don't qualify for the breakthrough? What do you do when you just don't qualify? You know, I, I used to work in another life in the, the finance department, and I was a loan officer, and one of my jobs was to get loans approved. I had to get them qualified, and in order to qualify, you'd have to meet certain credit scores, have to have certain debt-to-income ratio, have to have a certain amount of income and disposable income. And every now and again in that department, we'd get some applications that didn't qualify. But we wouldn't throw those applications away. What we do is we take them to the second chance department. In the second chance department, the loan officers there had a way of getting you qualified. They, they had a way of working with you to give you a second chance. I don't know how this Canaanite woman knew about it, but somehow she must have figured out that Jesus also has a second chance department. Because right after he told her she didn't qualify, she took her application, got on her knees and bowed before him and submitted it to the second chance department of God. It's right here in verse 25. After he turned her down, the Bible says, then she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. And what she was saying was, I know I don't qualify. I know me and my daughter don't meet all of the qualifications. I know you're a Jew and I'm a Gentile, but if you'll just give me a chance, Lord, help me. Is there anybody in here that knows anything about God's second chance department? 
Have you ever needed a second chance in life? Have you ever had to praise your way when you couldn't see your way? If the truth be told, anytime any of us come to God asking for a blessing, the reality of the matter is we don't qualify. We don't really qualify for any of the blessings of God. We don't qualify because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. We don't qualify because all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. We don't qualify because when we would do good, evil is all around us. And the good that we would do, we don't do that. The evil that we would not do, that's what we do. Come on, be honest with me. We don't qualify. We don't deserve. We don't earn the blessings of God. But I thank God that he has a second chance department. I thank God that in his second chance department, he says, come. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, I'll make them as lamb's wool. In the second chance department, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Church, we've got great obstacles before us. And it doesn't seem like this word qualifies for a second chance. We kill our own. We wound our brothers and sisters. We promote hate and shrink from standing up against unrighteousness. But still God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. I will heal from heaven and I will heal their land. What God means with this verse is that he's willing to give us a second chance. Listen, I don't know who you are or where you are today, but perhaps that's how you feel. You feel like you've messed up. You feel like you've, it's too late, like, like you don't have another opportunity. But I stopped by to let you know that God is still a God of second chances. And if you'll be like this woman, if you'll humble yourselves and dow, bow down before him, crying out, Lord, help me. He promises to give us another chance. That's the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It comes with second chances. Beloved, we must never give up on God. When faced with the obstacle of an unanswered appeal, great faith keeps walking with him. When faced with the obstacle of an unqualified application, great faith keeps worshiping him. And finally, when faced with the obstacle of an unobtainable aspiration, great faith keeps waiting on him. That's the last obstacle this woman had to overcome, the obstacle of an unobtainable aspiration. An unobtainable aspiration is a desire to attain something that's simply impossible to achieve. That's what Jesus is trying to explain to her in verse 26 when he tells her now. He says, after she's been worshiping him, worshiping him, he says to her, look, it's not good to take the children's bread and give it to the little dogs. Uh, what he's saying here is that what you want is just simply unobtainable. It, it's not good for me to take the things that have been prepared for God's people. It's not good for me to take the blessings and the mercy. It, it's not good for me to take the, the meal and the bread and the things that were intended for the children of Israel and give them to the little dogs. 
Side note, I, I just have to note, it's, isn't it interesting that, that Jesus has gone from completely ignoring her to having a full-blown theological conversation with her? <laughs> that just lets you know right now that when he's not answering, you don't stop walking with him, don't stop calling him, don't stop worshiping him. Now he's engaged with this woman and they're having this conversation and it seems to me what he's saying to her is, look, ma'am. I heard you. I heard you the entire time you were walking with me. I know what you want, but I still can't help you. You overcame the obstacle of an unanswered appeal and you kept walking with me. That's good. You overcame the obstacle of an unqualified application and you kept worshiping me. And that's good. But listen here, what you're asking for now is just unobtainable. It's going to be really hard for me to overcome this. It wouldn't be right for me to take the bread and the plate of blessings and the plate of, of healings and miracles that have been prepared for the children of Israel and give them to a little a little dog. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You know, this part right here kind of reminds me of a situation I have in my home. Uh, when when my son turned three years old, we bought him a little puppy dog, a little uh, chocolate lab named Prince. And and whenever I would prepare a meal for my son, Prince would come too. I would prepare my son great great meals. He's my only child, and so you know I I would do everything for my child. I prepare him a, a nice plate, a, a fried chicken, a macaroni and cheese, biscuits and gravy. Are you hungry yet? I I'd prepare all that for my son, and I'd call him to come eat the meal that I prepared for him. And what happened is when I called my son, guess who'd come to? Prince would come also. And he'd stand there looking at me with those puppy dog eyes, waiting as if I was going to take the plate that I prepared for my son and give it to my dog. <laughs> and don't you know, have you ever had a dog do that? They just stare at you. They'll stare at you all night long for some food. And I, I had to look at Prince and say, I admire your faith, Prince, but it doesn't matter how long you stare at me. It it doesn't matter how much you follow me. It doesn't matter how much you beg me. There's no way I'm going to take the plate of food that I prepared for my son and serve it to my dog. That's a situation that this woman found herself in. Just like my, my dog, Prince, he, what he wanted was an unobtainable aspiration. I'm just not going to take the food for my son and give it to my dog. I'm not going to do that. And this woman was in the same situation, but that's when this great woman of faith exercised another faith move. Because in verse 27, she says, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. You see, this woman understood the same thing that my dog understood. They both understood that while they might not be able to eat off the plate, they could still get some of the stuff that was on the plate if they were willing to wait at the table long enough. <laughs> Listen, if you're willing to wait at his table long enough, eventually some crumbs are going to fall your way. And whatever is in the plate is in the crumb. <laughs> That's right. Whatever is in the plate is in the crumb. I want to know, do you have enough faith to wait at his table? Do you have enough faith to wait and say, God, however you bless me, I'll be satisfied. 
That's what this woman was saying. She's saying, it's okay, you don't have to give me the whole plate. I'll just stand here. I'll wait and take whatever you let fall my way. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you desire. And from that very hour, her daughter was healed. Listen, in this great country of ours, it seems that we have some unobtainable aspirations. It seems like racial harmony is unobtainable. It seems like police reform is unobtainable. It seems like social justice reform is unattainable. It seems like a harmonious government, a united church, and liberty and justice for all is simply unobtainable. But I stopped by all the way from Laurel, Maryland to let you know that this morning that if we'll wait at his table long enough, eventually some crumbs will fall our way. We're going to wait at his table for justice. We're going to wait at his table for victory. We're going to wait at his table for unity. We're going to wait at his table for peace. Eventually the crumbs will fall our way. We've got some witnesses. Crumbs fell for Moses when Pharaoh finally let God's people go. Crumbs fell for Abraham when God finally provided a ram in the bush. Crumbs fell for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when God provided a cooler in the middle of a fiery furnace. Just keep waiting on him. Great faith doesn't mind waiting at his table. There's healing at his table. There's deliverance at his table. There's breakthrough at his table. Don't stop waiting. We face great obstacles. And as believer, it's time that we exercise great faith. Fundamental faith is fine when I lose my car keys. Fundamental faith is time when I'm having trouble on my job. Fundamental faith is fine when I'm having difficulty in my relationships, but dealing with the things that we face today. Beloved, we need to exercise great faith. Great faith keeps walking with him. Great faith keeps worshiping him. Great faith keeps waiting on him. Exercise great faith to overcome life's obstacles. Faith. It's the great axiom of the Christian belief. We walk by faith. We're saved by faith. It's the substance of what we hope for and the evidence of what we believe. Overcome great obstacles by exercising great faith. And may it be done to you even as you have believed. God. Please give us all great faith.